You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. Good afternoon and welcome to this Tuesday, January the 7th edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rowlandson, your host from lightninginsider.com as well as the host of the opening face-off and co-host of the last call post-game show uh, after road games that you can hear exclusively here on Lightning Power Play. The opening face-off, by the way, airs today at 430 we do that each and every home game, most home games, at 4.30 uh, throughout the season. That is new this year in case you're just checking us out here as we hit the second half of the season tonight with the Vancouver Canucks in town. It's game number 42 for Tampa Bay, which is officially the first game of the second half of their schedule. Of course, game number 41 was on Sunday in Carolina. An interesting side note for tonight's game. Talked a little bit about it yesterday, but we're going to talk about it again today is the fact that you've got two teams riding seven-game winning streaks coming into this game tonight. So somebody's going to extend it to eight, and somebody will have it snapped at seven. We're also going to talk a little bit about, like, did, did, did you catch the Connor McDavid goal last night? Like, we have to talk about it. We have to bring that up. It was just absolutely ridiculous. So we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. We'll discuss the coaching change that took place last night. And we're hoping we can be joined by Brian Engblom, color analyst for Fox Sports Sun, here sometime in the second half of this show. So hopefully around 1230 or so, Brian Engblom will stop by the studio, and we'll talk about this team a little bit uh, and tonight's opponent as well because this is an unfamiliar opponent. And this is what happens when you face a team or see a team only twice per year is you don't, you don't really know them that well. You know the names. Like, we know Elias Pettersson. At least we should. We should know a Quinn Hughes or a Bo Horvat, Jacob Markstrom and goal for Vancouver. But there's not a lot of, of other names that really jump out at you. Certainly here in Tampa, we're very familiar with J.T. Miller, who spent a season and a half here before he was traded to the Canucks at the draft in a deal that, returned a, a first-round draft pick for Tampa Bay, and J.T. Miller comes in with 15 goals and 40 points. He's second on the Canucks in goals behind Pedersen and second in assists behind uh, Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser. Um, but there, it's it's kind of a, at least from our standpoint here, a, a bit of a faceless team. You know, this this is not Edmonton coming in with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, two very familiar names. I mean, Patterson won the Calder Trophy last year as Rookie of the Year. 
But beyond that, you know, they signed Tyler Myers in the offseason. They brought in Jordy Ben. You know, names, but not big names. But they find a way to get it done. And they come in here again riding the seven-game winning streak. And the Pacific is not certainly the strongest division in the league. And the Canucks have had an odd type of season because they started out really strong. They were 9-3-3. and And then as most teams do, they hit a little bit of a rough patch. Because prior to this seven-game winning streak, they'd actually lost three out of four in the middle part of December. And then their current seven-game streak started December 19th against Vegas. Now, here's the thing about this winning streak the Canucks are on. Only one of those games came on the road. So of the seven games, six of them came at home. They have wins over Vegas in overtime. Pittsburgh, Edmonton, L.A. Their one road win was at Calgary. They had that wild 7-5 game against the Blackhawks. And then they beat the Rangers over the weekend before heading out of town. They do start a five-game road trip tonight here. They will be in Florida in two nights, and then they go to Buffalo, Minnesota, and Winnipeg. So the, the one thing that stands out, to me during this seven-game winning streak for Vancouver is their goals against. Yes, they had that wacky 7-5 game against the Blackhawks, and then they had a 5-4 win against Vegas. But in a win against Pittsburgh, one goal allowed. Win against Edmonton, two allowed. Win against L.A., two allowed. Win against Calgary, two allowed. Win against the Rangers, one. So you can see their goaltending has been a big part with any team, really. If you have a team that's going on a, a streak like this, usually, usually, not always, but usually, goaltending has a big part to do with it. And Jacob Markstrom has kind of really solidified himself as the number one goaltender there in Vancouver, where, you know, maybe last year you couldn't have said that. And certainly Vancouver media maybe not have said that about Markstrom, and Markstrom was the goaltender that went from Florida. He was supposed to be the goalie of the future in Florida and never really materialized as the number one guy there or established himself while with the Panthers. And then the deal that brought Roberto Luongo back to the Panthers sent Markstrom the other way. And he comes into tonight with a 15-11-3 record and really carrying the Canucks, at least in goal, to this point. All right, well, Brian Engblom has found his way to the studio, and he <laughs> steps in. And uh, welcome to Studio 401, Brian. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I did find my way in. Yeah, nice little setup we have back yeah, here. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so uh, we appreciate you stopping by. Uh, I know you're busy on a game day, so we appreciate a couple yeah, minutes no of your problem. time. Uh, catch Brian tonight, by the way, on the last call after the game with uh, Greg Linelli. Uh, you can hear that. It's always uh, fun. Yep. Not just on this station, but you can hear that on 970 WFLA as well. And Brian, 
Two teams coming in with matching seven-game win streaks, only the second time in NHL history two teams have had winning streaks of this magnitude oh, facing each other. Yeah, a little interesting note that the yeah. league sent out. The other one was a couple years ago when Columbus was on a 14-game winning streak and Minnesota was on a 12-game oh, winning streak. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was so. right around Christmas, <laughs> yep. I think, right? Yeah, yep. yeah it was. Huh. Um, so when you have two teams that are kind of both really feeling good about themselves, what should we expect? And they're not familiar with each other. I was just talking about this. It's a Western Conference team. You don't see them a ton. So there's not a lot of familiarity between the two teams. So what should we expect to see? Uh, that's a very good question. And because there is no familiarity, sky's the limit. I, I don't know what to expect. Yeah, I, I always feel like most teams – and I include the Lightning in that, when they play against the other conference, that there's a disconnect there. And that can lead to sometimes you're in command um, all the way and you set the tone and it's your game and the other team never catches up to you or the opposite happens. Um, just because, yeah, you don't, you don't have a feel. When the Lightning play Montreal or Boston or certainly any of the teams in the division, you know what you're up against, even though there's some new faces, you know, at the beginning of the year. You, you know the team. You have a feel. And against the West, most guys, you know, don't even pay much attention. I find, first of all, that the guys in the West know more about the East than the other way around. And yep. that's simply time zones. Yep. Because, you know, the games in the West are on late and players are going to bed, you know, and they're getting their rest here, uh, here in the East. So uh, there's a better understanding, I think, of players from West to East than the other way around. So now that I've confused everybody <laughs> West to East, and I didn't even throw in any North and South yet, but um, <laughs> I think that... Uh, that makes for an interesting matchup. What I do look forward to is, what is it, the next 10 out of the next 12 are against the West? I yeah. think something like that for the Lightning. So we're going to see in general still, I think it's evened out a bit, but we've been saying for the last five, six years, maybe more, um, that the West is a little more physical, a little more banging, a little more close, tight checking than the East. Um, it has evened out a little. Uh, there are some teams like Calgary that can really go, you know, in the West and Colorado for sure. But in general, I think there's still that thing. So maybe in the next uh, 10 games against those, these Western teams, we're going to see how well and how much maybe the Lightning have adapted their game. We've been talking about it all season, about yeah. they got to get better at this. you got to be able to grind. you got to be able to play the right way. All, all those things we've been talking about. So supposedly the West plays that style more often. What's it going to look like, you know, after the 10 games? Yeah, it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Arizona comes here on Thursday. They've been a, a team that's in the top of the Pacific mm -hmm. uh, for most of the season. And then the Western games finally start to come yeah. uh, on the schedule. There's the Winnipeg and uh, Minnesota back-to-back, -back, right. uh, Dallas, and then out west to the, the three California three, teams. Three Californias. Um, but y you mentioned if the, the Lightning are kind of finding their game a little bit. And Steven Stamkos had an interesting comment, in, in my mind anyway, coming out of the Carolina game on Sunday where he talked about the 11 block shots they had in the third period and the mm -hmm. way that they protected that lead. He said, we're starting to create a winning culture, which kind of struck me a little bit for a team that has won as many games as they have over the last five or six years to use that term, a winning culture. So as you hear that, what kind of, uh, what do you think of when you hear the captain say that? The classic winning culture. That's, that's what I hear meaning you know how to shut down games when you're ahead by one goal. 
Um, and that's a difference maker because that's how the playoffs are yep. won. A lot of one-goal games. Or, or even if it ends up maybe two, you know, or an empty net, or maybe it's two or three-goal swing, but maybe most of the game is played within a tie or a one-goal game. That's the mentality he's talking about, getting comfortable with that. I don't know that they were ever comfortable with that last year and maybe even the year before. It was all about developing, you know, their skills and the way they played the game and their playmaking and all that kind of stuff. To become a complete team, you go through all that process, um, and that's why it's often, you know, a several-year evolution for a team to actually get and win the Cup. Washington Capitals, prime example from a couple of years ago. St. Louis Blues, um, certainly the same, uh, and in some ways an exception, obviously, because it was January on that really won them the cup last year. But um, to, to get comfortable, um, it's a very uh, – who was it? Braden Holtby. Braden Holtby, I'd, I've used this line several times. He said, we got comfortable with being uncomfortable. I went, bang, yeah. that's it. That's exactly what key games and exactly what the playoffs are all about. The playoffs are damn uncomfortable. Yeah. And if you can't handle that, bye-bye. And it shows up. And you get your – you have to have more than one way to play the game. I've been saying that for as long as I've been in this job because I, I felt it. I, I saw what it was like. You have to have more than one way to play. You can't just play wide open. You can't outskill the playoffs. You might win a round or two, but you will not win the cup if you cannot play two ways. You have to have enough skill to win games at key times, but you have to be able to grind, and you have to have the confidence and the comfort level to play those 1-1 those one, one ties, you know, 2-1 games, 3-2, uh, whatever, and play it for a long time. We're not just, you know, the last five minutes of a game to shut it out. That's, you know, the key, but maybe all of the third period. Yeah. Without sitting back too much and giving up just wild chances, you can give up some shots. I thought they did a heck of a job in Carolina, the game we just saw. You know, the back-to-backs, you've talked about it. Getting in at 2.30, blah, blah, blah. You know, it happens. Everybody goes through it. So, and don't talk to the Western teams about that <laughs> because they get screwed in so many, yeah. you know, situations. So, at any rate, it was really good the way they won. And, yeah, they were fatigued in the third period. They really didn't give up a lot of high-quality chances. That's what I liked as much as anything else. And when they did, obviously, Vassy had the answer. So, they've really come a long way. In particular, on that trip, the two games they had to come from behind in the third period, but the two games in particular, the one in Montreal and then the game Sunday in Carolina where they really did lock it down. They didn't have the puck as much as they have in recent games, especially in the third periods, but everything's been kind of kept to the outside. We mentioned the 11 block shots that they had in Carolina. How, is that part of being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation? For sure, it is. Being comfortable checking and knowing what to do and what's important like I have I understand I watch it every day I, I understand the way the game is played and and how important it is you know to have puck possession it, it always has been uh, it's you know the evolution of the game from the 70s and uh, is different for sure but you know the puck possession game is important but I have objected for a very long time and repeatedly last year when Lightning would lose games or games would get away, it was always about, well, we have to put the puck in the right place. It's always the puck, the puck, the puck. 
I've said this to you before privately. I object to that. Yeah. I object because how many turnovers do you think there are in an average game? I, I don't even know. I'm guessing. How many times does, in other words, does the game, uh, does the puck exchange teams, one team, then the other? 200? Yeah. 300? Yeah. Depends on the game. Hundreds of times. So don't talk to me about turnovers all the time. There are some turnovers that are ghastly. There is no doubt. But you can have ghastly turnovers if you are in good position defensively and everybody is accounted for. So I have always objected to, well, no, we didn't do this with the puck. BS for me. No. You weren't in the right position. You got beaten defensively. The difference was that side, not what you did on that side. That's my opinion, and I'll... I'll never change it. I see the game. I understand what they're trying to say, but I think it's a fatal flaw. And again, I'll go back to Washington, the, their evolution, the times they won the President's Trophy and then got beaten in the first round and disappointed. It happened the year before the Cup. Mm -hmm. Very, you know, similar circumstances to what Barry Trotz handled when, you know, the Cup winning year. And he, I, I remember reading the article at the beginning of this year saying that, um, you know, I could tell the players were almost in mourning. I think he used that word when they came to training camp and early in the season and it hung around for a while. And he said, I just backed off a little bit and just waited and you could see it start to come. Like now they're ready, willing to listen. I mean, they were hanging in there and they were fine. And then they really started to go. Everybody was ready and willing to listen. And it started with Ovechkin. And because, you know, other coaches, uh, I think Dale Hunter, probably the most pointed one, he tried to hit him over the head, Dale Hunter style, and say, Ovi, you can't do that. You can't play like that. Nope, nope. He wasn't ready. He yeah. wasn't ready to listen. Barry Trotz's time was, timing was really good, and, uh, and Ovi was ready to listen, and he led the way. The entire team was because of what had happened to them. Some similar c circumstances to this year for John Cooper and how things have started. He used the word burden. Right. Recently yeah. said, I could see the team was carrying a heavy burden, very similar through October into probably the trip to Sweden. As you know, you want to look for a line in the sand. They have become a different team and that burden is behind them now. And now they really get it. Like I even this last road trip, I went, this team gets it now. And I think they understand my point of what I just said about, yes, it's about the puck. It's about the other side of the yeah. puck. And you really saw that even in Carolina in the third period. Well, and something that I've noticed too, and I, I go refer to you to make sure that I'm seeing things the right way, the back checkers, that second wave that teams bring. Everybody wants a second wave. Lightning's back checkers seem to be a lot more involved in making sure they take away that second wave. I know I saw it at least two or three times in the game against Carolina. How important Absolutely. are those type of moments for a team as well so that you're not victimized by, you know, the, the D coming up the ice and taking that back pass and, and beating you off the rush? One of the guys I just end up finished talking to, you know, half an hour ago was Pat Maroon. Mm -hmm. I asked him, you know, what do you think? He said, I, I really like how – we have, you know, forwards and our team, when things are even the least bit out of control, we come back to the house in the middle, we pick somebody up and we're done. I went, amen to that. There were, there were five or six terrific defensive plays that probably a lot of people didn't even see. But player Paquette and Kalorin, I can remember two specific ones, saved a goal, absolutely saved a big-time scoring chance that Vasty would have had to pull a rabbit out of his hat, which he is certainly capable of. But you don't want to keep doing that. Yep. Um, 
that exactly he he pinpointed they come back to the house but in past you can go back and pick almost any game last year where even when they won by two or three or four there were instances where they'd have all kinds of guys come back into the zone nobody had anybody you know again this is something you and I talked about drove me crazy and it's it's chronic around the league because it's a focus of overloading at the puck, overloading on certain sides of the ice. I get that, but for me, the game will never change from the hash marks, uh, t- top of the circle, especially in the prime scoring areas. You can't come back and not take anybody, especially on nights where things are going bad for your team because the other team has it, and you know, you're always chasing it, and the puck is passing you by. You're, you're going right. The puck's coming back left. They're utilizing the seams, and it looks particularly bad because nobody has anybody. And you can, when the, you can freeze the shot after the puck's in the net and go, well, you outnumbered the other team four to three right in that scoring area. Nobody had anybody. No. I object to that. <laughs> when Washington beat the Lightning two years ago in the playoffs, my biggest, uh, what I looked at was the physical play and the man-on-man coverage that Washington put a blanket on Stamkos and Cooch and Point and line after line from the tops of the circles in. You watch the coverage and you saw the frustration level and obviously it makes a difference on the scoreboard. So uh, I may be old-fashioned in some ways, but I don't think that part of the game's ever going to change. Okay, we're joined by Brian Engblom from Fox Sports Sun here on Lightning Lunch. Make sure you check out Brian tonight after the game on the last call with uh, Greg Lanelli. And, Brian, I have to ask you, the, the Connor McDavid goal from last night, I assume you've seen it. <laughs> yes. And, and look, I, I, I think sometimes we see a Connor McDavid goal and it's like, eh, you know, it's, it's Connor McDavid, so of course they're going to blow it out. That goal last night, the way that he approached the blue line and looked off more, like, he didn't mean to do it, but he embarrassed Morgan Riley with the way he did it because he looked him off, and then all of a sudden he decided he was taken off. And and Morgan Riley is a fast skater. He's a good yeah. defenseman. Yes. He made him look ridiculous with yeah. that that just quick burst. I mean, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't. That defies the laws of physics for a player <laughs> to do that. Connor McDavid's the fastest thing I've ever seen on two skates. There is no doubt. Top end speed, but his acceleration and his quickness. I mean, you can't do it any better. He's even Braden Point as good as Braden is. Connor McDavid has a little extra half step of quickness. His technique is flawless. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. He would scare the hell out of me. I'm, I, <laughs> I mean, I watched that play, and I feel bad for the defenseman, yeah. right? You know, and, and then I go, oh, yeah, great play. But, <laughs> but if I was Morgan Riley, I would have changed. Yeah. <laughs> I would have just gone right to the yeah. bench. What happened was he, McDavid was up by the Toronto blue line by the wall, and he got the pass. And Morgan Riley hadn't gapped up yet, so he's already in big trouble. Yeah. So he's moving towards, he was c- coming from the top of the circles. I bet you he didn't get within 8 or 10 feet of the blue line. And now, now McDavid's got the puck, and he's coming at him. You are in huge no man's land. trouble, huge trouble there because of his acceleration. So then he makes the second mistake because McDavid comes at him, and McDavid understands his speed. He understands his acceleration now that he's been in the league a couple of years. And he knew, you know, he's licking his chops, even though Morgan, he doesn't go anywhere near uh, Morgan Riley's stick. 
because he just knows he just has to get them thinking, yeah, I'm going to cut all the way across. Nope, I'm not. So all he did was veer in, veer out. And when Riley saw him coming across, he tried, he put the brakes on temporarily and he was going to lunge him. Done. And yep. as soon as he saw that, boom. Now the acceleration and this in the veer back out and around. And then Morgan Riley just, I mean, you, you could have been Sedano Char and still missed him by eight feet, you know, with the reach that he has. So the problem was uh, Riley couldn't gap up, put the brakes on. If I were him, I think I would have looped up and skated, turned and skated forwards and tried to back check like a forward. Either that or you'd have to, if you're Morgan Riley, you'd have to come up as quick as you can, realize you're in trouble, and then get skating backwards real fast. And if he scores on a screenshot past you, at least you can try to push him yeah. a little bit, you know. And it's easy after the fact, but everything went wrong for Morgan Riley, and it just shows you just how intelligent on top of this skill set. Uh, and then, of course, he finished it by going, you know, right up under the bar with the, with the shot. McDavid is just fascinating to watch. It, it, you can calculate it. You can see the thought process go through McDavid's mind, and we talk about the speed of execution at this game. And while that wasn't, that didn't take place at the high rate of speed from an end-to-end -end rush, which he's certainly capable of doing, but to just y you slow that play down and you just see everything, the, the wheels turning in McDavid's mind. Yeah, he is looking back to see if he's got support coming, but yep. there was a moment in time, probably about a stride and a half past the blue line, he knew what he was doing. Oh, absolutely. And he's still looking off Riley. Yeah. And he knows. He's just waiting for that moment. And as soon as Riley slowed down his acceleration, yeah. he was done. Yeah. And I mean, it's incredible. And that's and that's a, an excellent point, too. Um, I just saw it. I looked at it on the phone. You know, I didn't I didn't <laughs> look at it on TV screen. I watched most of that game, but I didn't I didn't see that part. Um, so Riley's looking at him and seeing what he's looking at. So, yeah, yeah. He ha Morgan Riley has to judge, is there somebody coming late? And I didn't see that just looking on the replay on an iPhone. So, yes, that would cause him to come up and hesitate for a second, and then that's, that's, that's what I mean. That's all it took. You know, it's, just, it's like split second. Yeah, that's, I had a conversation with Braden Point about that last year. Uh, because Braden has such great acceleration, and he's really good at disguising it. Yeah. Like, he has another gear left, and a lot of guys don't realize that he does. But sometimes, I, I don't know, I said, Braden, why do you go so close to a guy? I said, you understand when you have a guy, right, and he doesn't have enough speed going backwards. He went, yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of times I do. You know, not in every occasion, but I know it. I, I said, well, why, why are you going so close? Don't ever give a defenseman a chance to get lucky and just knock your stick. Sometimes you end up sort of, I'll, if I'm defending, I just have to hit his stick and the puck will go off it. I don't have to go stick on puck all the time. And that's desperation. If you know you're overmatched and a guy's accelerating and you're, you are going, uh-oh, you know, it's really hard. That's why when a, when a forward ends up playing defense, you know, say on a power play or whatever, that other forwards are going to test them because yeah. it's not a skill they develop. Skating backwards fast and turning from backwards to forwards is a skill, and it's a really tough one to learn. And you do it repeatedly because that's your job if you're a defenseman. 
So, and even at that, when you get caught not gapping up, and sometimes you are dead in the water, and you've got a, a, a Braden Point or a McDavid or somebody coming at you, or, or uh, Malkin, you know, gives you different kinds of problem, a Getzlaff, big rangy guys who can protect the puck, and as soon as they get half a body width on you, you're done because they box you out and that's it. So there are all these different problems you have to deal with when you're a defender, and that's why it takes so long as a defenseman yeah. to, to really cultivate your game and be a good two-way defenseman because you have to feel it. You have to know what it's like when Alexander Ovechkin leans in on you and you go, oh, my God, I can't do anything with this guy. Or McDavid, that's different things. Or Sidney Crosby, who can cross you up about seven different ways. That you have to experience, and you have to have it go in the back of your net and go, okay, I can't ever do that again. I don't ever want to feel like that again. That's what it's like playing defense in the NHL. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really hard. Like the, the goaltender is the most merciless position because you make a mistake and everybody in the building sees a red light go on and go, yeah. what the heck did he do? Um, but in some ways, uh, playing defense is, is worse, learning the process because so many things can happen to you. Offensive zone, neutral zone, and defensive zone. Goalie's in the crease. He's in the net. So you have to learn a lot of different things as a defenseman. And if you make the mistake, then a guy's going in cold or you've given up an outnumbered attack or it's a flat-out breakaway. Whereas a forward, you know, he makes his mistakes, then the defense are behind him. They're not as noticeable. So that's why there's, you know, layers of defense, and that's why systems are in place too. All right, last question here for you, Brian. Appreciate you stopping by the studio here. Sure. Seven-game winning streak. What has impressed you about how Tampa Bay – we talked about the third-period <clears> play that they've had, but over in a bigger-picture sort of way, what has stood out to you in the seven-game winning streak? Players are sacrificing possible offensive opportunities for doing the right thing, realizing that I'm fresh on the ice on a partial line change. And a big thing that gets overlooked in our game, 30 and 40 second shifts. There are a lot of turn. There, we'll go six minutes, seven minutes sometimes without a whistle, right? So lines are all jumbled up. And players' awareness sometimes is not what it should be. You get out there and you're fresh and you get a decent scoring chance or maybe this is going to be a, you know, a, a three on two. The other two guys are gassed. And they they got to get off the ice. And you start making a risky play, or maybe you, you're the one staying out too long, and you should be getting off the ice. Those realizations and what the puck should do and where it should go, and you just get it deep and live to, to play another day, those were the risky plays that got the Lightning in trouble a lot last year. And then you make a east-west you know, play inside the blue line with tired players. Your two defensemen are gassed in a second period. They're trying to get to their bench, and boom, two-on-one, flat-out breakaways, four-on-twos, like just crazy stuff that happened a lot. And again, it happens with a lot of teams. So I see the awareness factor of the situational play, sacrificing, being aware, doing the right thing, in the long run gets you a lot of points. And it has been, and Coop, probably said it best you know he said we're reaping the rewards now for actually playing pretty well even a month ago but you know they make a few mistakes and they all seem to go in the back of the net so it's been a painful process in some ways they've had to pay that price but now i think they really get it now they're comfortable with being uncomfortable 
Yep. I'm going to use that line. I'm going to steal it from you. I will give you I, I, I stole it from Braden the whole yeah, piece, right. so <laughs> pass it on, buddy. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, Brian, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. We'll catch you on Fox Sports Sun tonight and, of course, the postgame show, the last call here with Greg later on. Absolutely. Pleasure all the time. And you know what? I got to unload all this stuff. I feel so much better. <laughs> that's good. Good, good, good. Therapy. All right. Uh, all right. We're going to take our first break here. Uh, you are listening to Lightning Lunch on Lightning Power Play. We'll be back right after this. Can't get enough lightning talk? Log on to lightninginsider.com for more puck pontification. Oh, if, 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 uh, if, if, uh, if, if, yeah, if we, if, oh, if, oh, look, it's quite simple. More lightning lunch with Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com your host also make sure you check out at 4:30 today the opening face-off show i did have a chance to sit down with pat maroon and we talked about some of the stuff that we just talked about with brian engblom there and uh, some good insight from uh, pat maroon on what the team is going through right now and the process that we've talked a lot about so uh, stick around for that plus you, you got to listen to the story Chief has, uh, Bobby the Chief Taylor, who joins us on the opening face-off show, about his uh, run-in with the Crown in British Columbia back in his playing days when the Flyers would visit the Vancouver Canucks. So you have to stick around and listen to that story. It's good stuff. Uh, again, Tampa Bay is back. On home ice tonight, it's a 7 p.m. start against the Vancouver Canucks, one of three home games in the month of January. Uh, Thursday will be Arizona, but tonight it is the Vancouver Canucks. And a couple of updates for you. Va Andre Vasilevsky is your scheduled starter in net tonight. That's not a surprise. He's played extremely well of late. The game in uh, Montreal in particular stood out. I thought he was strong in his net on Sunday in Carolina. He has won six straight games. He is 7-0-1 in his last eight games. His last regulation loss came against the Washington Capitals back in December. I believe December 10th was that last regulation loss that Andre Vasilevsky suffered. So he's a big part of the turnaround of late. Uh, injury update on Ryan McDonough. He did not take part in the morning skate today. Head coach John Cooper saying after the skate that he obviously is out tonight. Doesn't expect him to be ready for Thursday's game against Arizona either. And he is currently listed as out indefinitely, which in my mind means it's iffy at best if he's able to play this weekend as Tampa Bay will head back out on the road for back-to-back -back games in Philadelphia and New Jersey on Saturday and Sunday. So that's a big loss for McDonough. Uh, I don't think McDonough has played anywhere near the level he played at last year when I thought he was a Norris caliber type season he enjoyed. Uh, has not had that type of a season this year, but he's such a steady presence on the blue line, he calms things down, not too dissimilar from Anton Strallman during Strallman's time here with the Lightning and, and how he can kind of get the team out of trouble with some calm plays from time to time. He's been a really good pairing partner for Eric Chernak. 
but again, he looks like he is not uh, going to be around anytime soon. Um, they're listing it as an upper body injury. I hate to speculate on what it was, although I will say that it just, I, as I told everybody yesterday, I went back and looked at his last couple of shifts in that game against Ottawa when he left after the first period, and he didn't take a particularly hard hit from Brady Kachuk, but he did take a hit to where it was kind of from the side and there was a little bit of a whiplash effect because anybody whose last name is Kachuk is going to hit you hard. Um, so it was a hard hit, but it didn't look that particularly like it would have knocked McDonough out. But again, if, if, and I'm not saying it is, I'm just sort of speculating, if it is any type of a head injury, you could see where that might come from. Again, I don't know that's what it is. That's just me guessing, and the fact that they're using the term out indefinitely uh, kind of leans me towards that process and potentially uh, the amount of time that he's going to miss. So if it is that, uh, now you know why it's an indefinite um, uh, timeline for McDonough to return to the lineup because we just don't know if that's the type of injury it is. Uh, lines from this morning appear to be the same as the game in Carolina, so that means the line of Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, and Braden Point was will be um, back together again. Um, was it? Alex Kalorn was with Pat Maroon and Cedric Paquette. You had um, Sorelli with Johnson and Palat, and then Gord with Verhage and Mitchell Stevens. Uh, Luke Shen appears to be the odd defenseman out again. So um, that appears to be your lineup situation for tonight. All right, don't forget, if you have questions, please send them my way. You can find me on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskEE, and we will get to your answers in our next segment. Um, Anything on your mind? Anything that stood out to you during the seven-game winning streak? Anything that you think still needs to be worked on? And no, there's no such thing as a perfect team. So even as the Lightning are, you know, kind of rolling right now and certainly in a good spot, you know, as the way this the thing goes right now, they could actually be in second place if things go their way tonight. With a, with a win or even an overtime loss, they could be in second place. Toronto did lose that game last night to Edmonton. We talked about the McDavid goal with Brian Engblom there. Uh, but Tampa Bay could find themselves in second place within the division, which certainly is a far cry from where things stood, I don't know, about a month ago, right? About a month ago, we a lot of concerns around this team from where they were, hadn't been in a playoff spot since October 26th, and yet here on January 7th, by the end of the night, they could they could be in second place in the Atlantic Division. Um, I wanted to touch on the McDavid goal again pretty quick, and, and I make it a little bit of a big deal about this because it was earlier in the year, 
there was a goal that he scored against Philadelphia in Edmonton where, don't get me wrong, it was a nice goal. His speed and acceleration was just unbelievable. But the finish he had wasn't anything spectacular because I remember at the time Carter Hart was out of position and kind of gave up the entire side of the net. But everybody went bonkers on it. And I think everybody went bonkers on it because of the fact it was 97 that scored the goal. Right? We had that discussion. But last night's goal, I you know they were talking about it on Sirius XM as I was coming in to the rink this morning as well. Um, you know Wayne Gretzky was in um, Toronto last night to watch that game, and he came away very impressed with watching McDavid score that goal. And he is a generational talent, folks. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think because of the attention he gets, because of who he is. And the fact that he plays in a Canadian market, I think that factors into the way things are perceived from time to time. But the goal last night was something to behold. Because you could see every element of McDavid's strengths on display. The understanding of how to play the game. The understanding of where he is on the ice. The understanding of where the defense is in front of him on the ice. The the ability, as I mentioned with Brian, you could see, okay, there's no doubt that he picks up the puck about the red line. And there's no doubt, as a lot of players will do, they're looking back to see what, where's the wave? Is help coming? What do I need to do? So he's, he's calculating all that within about a second and a half as he's looking back. But you can absolutely tell the moment where he knows he doesn't really have a wave coming. I don't know if Edmonton was changing behind the play or whatever it was. But there's a moment you can see it click where he knew exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to pull it off. And as soon as Morgan Riley flinched, and it didn't take much because, again, he did... McDavid's looking back the whole way. So he's selling pass, 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 pass. And the moment Riley buys into that, he has, it's not even a second gear. He put it into a third gear and went around a pretty good defenseman in Morgan Riley and made him look stupid. And it's embarrassing in some ways for sure if... You're Morgan Riley, and I think you could kind of see him. I don't know if it was playful or not, but he look, he it was an embarrassing moment, and there's nothing he can do about it at, after the fact. I mean, McDavid's made a lot of people look that way. It's just, just this, this happened to be in Toronto. It's on a big stage because it's in Toronto. The game was televised in, on NBC Sports. And, and you, I hope you understand how big of a deal that was for NBC Sports to air a game between two Canadian teams in the U.S. market. That's a huge deal. So the fact that it's all on this big stage, it's going to show up on every highlight reel from 
now until Connor McDavid is in the Hall of Fame and even beyond. So you could kind of see Riley go after him a little bit, and McDavid kind of has a, a little bit of a sly smile on his face. But that's how ridiculous that goal was. And I hope we appreciate it. And I know I, I talked to Brian about it. I asked Pat Maroon that question, too, for the opening faceoff because he played with McDavid, and he so he has a unique and different perspective in terms of what that meant last night. So, again, that's on the opening faceoff show a little bit later at 4.30 that Pat Maroon will be on. Uh, but he has a very interesting answer uh, to that question and who Connor McDavid is. So I, I hope you have a chance to listen to that show as well. All right, let's take our second break. Uh, I do have some questions that are coming in and some comments. So uh, we'll get to those as we wrap up the show on the other side of this break. Stick around. That's all. Don't you know what this is? This is Lightning Lunch. I don't care. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't. A full hour of Lightning Talk on Lightning Power Play. Always goes wrong when we come to the dessert. <laughs> Always. Welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Tampa Bay's in action tonight. It's a 7 p.m. game against the Vancouver Canucks. Greg Nonelli comes up with Lightning Power Play Live at 5.30. Pre-game show is at 6.30, and then the network broadcast gets underway at 7. Uh, all right, a couple of questions that have come in. We'll start with the first one from Bob a little bit earlier. Uh, always like JT Miller and know his move was about cap room mostly. What has made him excel with Vancouver being one of their top players? Hate to compare him to other players on the current Lightning roster and money, but have to wonder if they move the wrong guy. Uh, well, first of all, it was a it was a business move first and foremost. We knew the salary cap space had to be cleared out. Braden Point needed a new contract. They weren't sure, uh, even though it had been announced that uh, Ryan Callahan was not going to be able to play anymore. Um, they weren't sure what to do with his contract, so that was still in the factor, and they had to clear out space. And JT Miller was about the only forward in the group of players making a certain amount of money that the team was able to move without permission. Right? So he was the only guy who didn't have a no-trade clause. The others that you might have factored in, uh, Palat, Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, Alex Kalorn, all those guys had no-trade clauses. And that's a debate for another day. Whether or not you agree with that as part of the negotiation tactics that Steve Eisenman and Julian Breezeball have done, regardless of what you think of that, JT Miller was the easiest guy to move that was making that kind of money that you could clear out. Tampa Bay did receive a conditional first-round draft pick. In exchange, in that deal, uh, the conditions are basically if Vancouver does not make the playoffs this year, then they have the option to keep it and push it to next year. Uh, if they do make the playoffs this year, they do currently sit in a playoff spot, then Tampa Bay will receive an additional first-round draft pick in this year's draft, which obviously they could utilize and make the selection or it's a potential chip that the Lightning could play with, just as they did in 2015 when they made the deal to bring in Braden Colburn. They did have two first-round draft picks 
that year, and that was one of the ones that they did move. Um, so did they move the wrong guy? I mean, look, J.T. Miller set the world on fire when he came here. He was part of the McDonough deal and led the team in scoring from the moment he was acquired until the end of the season. Got a lot of time with Kucherov and Stamkos on the top line. Certainly benefited from that play. I think what we saw last year is Leighton didn't know where he fit. You couldn't quite get a feel for where he fit. They were very quick. He only got, I think, the one game to start the year with Stamkos and Kucherov, and then eventually he's in the fourth-line role, a third-line role. I, I'm not sure they knew exactly where his fit was going to be with this team. What has happened with him in Vancouver is he's playing with an elite talent in Elias Pettersson, and he's performing very, very well. You know, and sometimes – look, I love J.T. Miller, the player. He has fantastic hands. I think he can make plays. He's got good size. There's a lot to like about him. I think his hockey IQ is in question at times. I think we've seen that a few times uh, in his career. I think back to the conference final against Washington where he was the guy who led the three-on-one rush up the ice and didn't just kind of got didn't know what to do with the puck and they end up turning it over and don't even get a shot on goal. So it's those type of moments. And I'm not picking on JT here because, again, I really liked him as a player. He's a first-round draft pick for a reason. But he's found sometimes guys just find homes. And, and I guess the big question is, you know, he's he has been in this pattern through his career. He would play really well in New York, and then all of a sudden he'd end up on the fourth line. Well, he played really well here in Tampa Bay, and he ended up on the fourth line. Sometimes players need that to happen a few times and then land in the right organization to where they find their right fit, and maybe that's a moment for him that's clicking in. Maybe he's just figured out how he has to play, you know, moving forward, and, and it never hurts to be in a top-line situation and playing with elite players. As I mentioned, he comes in tonight with uh, 15 goals and 40 points through 42 games. Um so he's right there with Pedersen, who leads the team with 44 points. So uh, good for JT. I, I, th I think he's found a really good fit, and um, he's a big part of the success that they've had. Um, Lightning Man wants to know, Tony D'Angelo, Anthony D'Angelo, has turned into a pretty good defenseman. Why did we dump him again? You know, I, first of all, Players don't teams don't necessarily dump players. Like just because you trade them doesn't mean you dump them. You know, so let's let's phrase that a little bit better. Just say why did they trade him? When D'Angelo was drafted by the Lightning, what was that the 2014 draft? I think 2000, not the 13. I think it was the 14 draft. I know. I'm I'm just, I'm talking out loud here, Connor. I know you can't really answer that question for me. <laughs> um. He had character issues then. He had been suspended by his own team for a insensitive phrase that he directed towards a teammate. So he had had some of those character issues. He's a right-handed shot defenseman. He's an offensive-minded guy. I think at the time they were trying to find the next damn Boyle, and they felt that he could be that because he had that type of talent. Um, 
and I, you know, the I believe the story on D'Angelo is that he wasn't willing to be patient, as the approach of this organization is. He was not happy. He hadn't been called up to the NHL. And again, if the story is correct, if you know, sometimes you hear things and you're not sure, but if the story is correct, he asked to be traded. He didn't think the organization here was giving him ample opportunity to get to the NHL level, even though they kept preaching patience. So they end up moving him at the deadline or at the tr at the draft a couple years ago, moving him to Arizona at that time for a second-round draft pick. And if you want to connect the dots, that second-round draft pick turned into Libor Hayek. Libor Hayek was part of the deal that brought in McDonough and J.T. Miller here. Um, so sometimes, and this organization is one of them, you know, they, they value character as much as any other attribute you can bring to the ice. And there's still some issues. I mean, D'Angelo held out of camp this year. Like he held out of camp. Like, who was Tony D'Angelo to hold out for a big contract? Which he didn't get. He's still on, a, on one of those show-me deals. Um, so that's that's my understanding of D'Angelo's situation here with uh, the trade that sent him to Arizona and then ended up in New York. Look, I mean, Arizona gave up on him pretty quickly. You know, shortly after he was brought up by the Coyotes, guess what happened? He got himself suspended for abuse of an official. I think it was a 10-game suspension, which is pretty automatic when you react that way with an official. He wasn't directing towards the official, but he did have physical abuse of an official. So, um, again, sometimes players and people mature at different rates. So... Uh, that's kind of the situation here, too. And, you know, he, he has. Look, he, he always had NHL talent. He could skate. He could shoot the puck. Uh, really good on the power play. He's a right-handed shot, which we know a lot of teams covet in today's game. But he didn't want to be patient to go through the process of learning his craft. He had a, his last year in junior, he was, I think he had 80 points, if I'm not mistaken somewhere in that range, and he was traded from, I believe he was in Sarnia at the time, and was traded to Sault Ste. Marie, and Sault Ste. Marie at that time was a powerhouse in the OHL. Went on to win, I think, Defenseman of the Year award, um, part of Team USA at the World Juniors. So the talent was always there with D'Angelo. It was just always a question of, was he going to get his act together? Was he going to be disciplined enough on and off the ice to become a good player, and he's gone down that path. Not quite there, but uh, he's gone down that path, and he's turned himself into a pretty good defenseman, which I don't think is a shock to anybody. All right, the last one from Bob. Uh, you're talking about first place in the division. Yeah, that's still there if they happen to win tonight, and Boston is actually in Nashville where the Predators just made a coaching change. They did hire John Hines today to replace Peter Laviolette, so a lightning win tonight and a loss by the Bruins would make the gap five points with the Lightning still holding two games in hand on Boston. But just get in. Stay in the top three. Just get in. Take your chances once you get to the postseason. So that's uh, that's my thought. I, I think it's – look, tonight is game number 42. 
It's it's the first game of the second half of the year. Still a lot, uh, a lot of runway left, if you will. So, all right, that's going to wrap up today's show. Uh, I'd like to thank Brian Engblom for stopping by and joining the conversation. It's always fun uh, to talk to Brian. He always has some really, really good insights into uh, the team and the state of the team and everything like that. So I uh, thank Brian for stopping by. Thanks to Bob for the questions. Rich, I just saw your email. I apologize. Um, and then for Lighty Man to send it in too. Thanks to Connor Zielinski, as always, for making it sound good. Don't forget uh, opening face-off at 4.30 today. today Rich, uh, Pat Maroon is my guest, along with Bobby the Chief Taylor. Greg Lanelli has Lightning Power Play Live at 5.30. Pre-game shows at 6.30, and the game is at 7 p.m. tonight. I'll be back at it tomorrow recapping this game and looking ahead to Thursday. So until then, bye-bye, everybody.